Greetings, friends. My name is Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It is Friday, July 7th, 2023. After Asia markets close, welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia-Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. We have a very special guest segment for today's episode. We have Michael Howell of Cross-Border Capital on, um, and he'll be on in just a minute. If you've been following Blockworks Macro, you likely already know him, um, and you know the kind of brilliant work that he does and his very specific framework of looking at you know financial markets through the lens of flows of capital and you know liquidity and that process that he's been perfecting for decades, right? Um, and if you've never seen him before, well, you can see any one of his appearances on Blockworks, um, either on Forward Guidance with Jack Farley. Uh, on, on the margin with Mike Blito or the whatever they call that mashup, the mashup show with the two of them and Michael Hell. Now, with that said, before we start, just want to give you all a kind of a heads up. This is not going to be a typical Michael Hell interview. Not that there is ever such a thing because he always comes with something very new, but this is not an interview at all, per se, okay? Michael and I have had many on-air discussions in the past, um, as well as regular contact off-air, as you'll see. Um, we bring up conversations that we've previously had or ongoing discussions during today's talk because we exchange our views and thoughts and insights and, you know, and questions. But more specifically, the purpose of me asking him to specifically be on the show for today is because I need to know what the liquidity picture out of China has looked like over the past week or two in context of my running thesis from the previous episode of Market Depth um, from the other day, right, on this sudden leadership shakeup that happened at the top of the PBOC, uh, China Central Bank, and how, in my view, that leadership change has little to nothing to do with actual stimulus policy out of China, but more so, it's part of a broader effort currently underway by Chinese officials with one immediate and urgent priority focus. Put a floor under the cliff diving yuan as it approaches a very critical level of roughly 7.3 on dollar CNY. If you haven't seen or heard this episode yet, it is the latest one prior to this episode from July 6th, I believe. It's called What the Sudden Leadership Shakeup at the People's Bank of China is Really About. And I strongly suggest that you watch it because this discussion with Michael is a follow-up to that episode. And secondly, you just need to watch it because, frankly, nobody is talking about this leadership reshuffle at the PBOC at all, let alone in the context of the Yuan, and they absolutely should be. Um, and as I discussed in that episode, I, of course, have been closely following the PBOC, especially with things like their daily Yuan fixings and their liquidity activity every morning. And indeed, the PBOC has been setting far stronger midpoint fixings on the yuan versus where estimates are almost every single day over the past two weeks or the last 10 trading days or so. And in addition to that, I'm also watching the PBOC's liquidity injections that they also do via seven-day reverse repo operations, which, if you recall, they had just recently made um, an early surprise 10 basis point cut to the seven-day reverse repo rate recently. But kind of on a granular, more dated day level, the amount of the PBOC's liquidity injections into the banking system have been far surpassed by the amount of reverse repo that they're letting expire, okay? Which is a long way of saying the PBOC has been net draining liquidity from the markets 
every day this week, totaling to a little over 1.1 trillion yuan of net liquidity drained from the system this week. Okay. And again, why would the PBOC drain liquidity instead of inject liquidity, net liquidity into the system? And of all times now, because stimulus and easing measures are not where their priorities are in the immediate. Strengthening the yuan by any and all means is. Okay, so this is why I asked Cross-Border Capital CEO Michael Howell, who is the king of monitoring and analyzing and understanding global liquidity and flows and their impact on financial markets, to connect with me um, to see if we can get some additional color um, on, on what he's seeing over at Cross-Border Capital um, in terms of the liquidity activity out of China. Is China indeed net draining liquidity? If so, why? Um, and just a side note before we get into this, this is being filmed as Janet Yellen is meeting right now with officials in Beijing. Um, so maybe by the time like all this is over, maybe something would have blown up or, or achieved diplomatically and dollar yuan makes a big move or not. Just so you all know, um, indeed, this is after uh, Asian markets close. Okay. So with all that said, here's my talk with Michael Howell on the subject of Asia liquidity and dollar yuan as well as dollar yen as of late. Okay, Mr. Michael Howell from Cross Border Capital, welcome to the Market Depth Podcast. Well, it's great to be here, Weston. Very good to see you. Yeah, great to see you again. Thank you for joining me on such short notice. Um, but we have had quite a week. I had this thesis basically put out uh, regarding the leadership change that happened very under the radar over the purposely over the like the Fourth of July weekend last weekend uh, at the PBOC. Um, and we have basically a new gentleman in who is very much an FX markets and you know yuan management, not just reputation, but actual role. Um, he's also the director of SAFE, uh, which oversees $3 trillion in, in their FX reserves and all that. And so my thesis being that this leadership change that's going on at the PBOC is really little to nothing to do with actual China stimulus policy in and of itself. And rather, it is part of a broader effort or measure in which there is one goal and that is to stem the decline of the yuan and then in his kind of you know sudden entrance into the picture is is part of that broader effort and then i'm also looking at things like pboc daily midpoint uh yuan fixing every morning and i mean it's been quite incredible over the last say week or two how much stronger they are purposely fixing the yuan uh versus estimates sending a clear message we are trying to stabilize the yuan we want a stronger yet the yuan keeps falling and now we're near very very dangerous levels of what 7.3 on dollar cny um because if it breaks through that that's a new 15 year low on the, on the yuan so you know i'm watching daily fixings stronger and i'm watching you know net liquidity drainings happening and then this week so far, it's basically been about over a little bit over a trillion RMB worth of uh, liquidity that has been drained from the system, which is not, not at all easing. And my view is that that's in all in an effort, part of this broader singular effort to just maintain the stability of the yuan. And so I wanted to connect with you and see what you're seeing on your end from your, you know, your empirical end um, and see if it aligns or not. But what are you seeing? Uh, are you seeing anything at all in terms of change in trend of net liquidity injections versus draining and, and all that over the last, say, one to two weeks? Yes. I mean, I, I agree with you 100% and more. Uh, what's going on here is clearly uh, a refocus on currency and trying to stabilize the yuan. Uh, the yuan is fundamentally a, a weak currency. 
I think we've established that, uh, you know, over over the past uh, few months or even years. Uh, my view is that uh, it's in, I'm not going to say terminal decline, but it's in trend decline. Um, the yuan US dollar cross at some stage will have a 10 in front of it. Uh, that's, you know, that's how worrisome the situation is. Uh, in a way, China's only route to growth now is basically through uh, through exports. They need to get uh, export growth up. They need to get the yuan down uh, in time. What they cannot afford to do is to see this as a panic. Uh, what central bankers don't mind is weaker currencies in the medium term. What they absolutely hate is loss of control in the short term. Uh, currency volatility, currency spikes down or even up are very unwelcome. So what you're seeing here is a gathering of forces in China to try and control or stem this slide in the yuan. Uh, as you correctly say, uh, there's been efforts in this last week to take about 1.2 trillion yuan out of the money markets. China historically has a record of trying to control forex movements in the short term by using uh, short-term daily market operations. Uh, they've done that in size through this week. To put this in context, this is a dramatic reversal of what they were doing only 10 days ago when they actually injected about a trillion yuan into the money markets to try and goose the economy uh, and get growth going up faster. That has now been hastily reversed. In other words, uh, the economic priority now is to stabilise the currency not to deliver growth in the very short term. I think this is very important. Now, I think you can go wider than that and you can say, well, you know, what is going on in, in context? Because there's no unrelated events in financial markets. And I would point to two things. One is a thesis I've had for well over uh, 18 months now, which is basically saying that uh, it's not really the dollar that's been weaponized, it's the yen that's been weaponized. Uh, and the yen is being weaponized against the Chinese yuan. The uh, the scale of yen devaluation uh, just over a year ago, about 15 months ago, from March of 2022, was unprecedented. I've in you know in 30 years or more in financial markets, I've never seen a major cross devalue at the speed the yen did at that time. Markets don't do that; only governments do. The yen was a stalking horse, and it was trying to put pressure then a year or more ago on China. Uh, that was ultimately successful. Uh, it forced the uh, yuan to devalue through seven. Uh, that was, you know, back fall of last year. That was a successful policy. Effectively, what's happening is that's happening again. The consensus trade at the beginning of 2023 was that the yen was going to be strong. UADA was going to come in and reverse the YCC policy. And that clearly has been wrong. Uh, Japanese policy continues to be easy. The yen is weakening substantially. That weakness in the yen has put a lot of pressure on China and the Chinese yuan has consequently weakened as well. Do not also rule out the fact that this week we've got uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen in China. These are not coincidences in my view. There was a lot of pressure being put on China and effectively uh, the US is holding uh, a deck of cards uh, with a lot of trumps in it. And basically, they're going to try and use those to get some deal, in my view. Now, that may be left field. It may be crazy. But I think that that's what's going on in markets. Watch the currencies closely. And if I'm correct, what we're likely to see in the next few months is some weakness in the US dollar and some rally in the yen and pressure off the yuan. But there's been a sula tabla deal done to get that. What that is, we'll never know. OK, um, I don't think you're crazy, first of all. <laughs> uh, second of all, uh, yeah, I remember having that conversation with you regarding the yen. So we're, let's get to that in a minute. But 
let just let me just rewind from what you you know because you you just put out a, a ton of uh, gold there. You said that about ten days ago, from according to your your metrics, when you start seeing a kind of shift in terms of specifically just the PBOC and their uh, liquidity injections. Ten days ago is what the twenty sixth of uh, June, and that is when you started seeing these very massive gaps, um, you know, 100, 200, 300 pip gaps in the daily yuan fixing midpoint range and how much, you know, stronger the actual um, fixing is. And so, you know, I mean, almost not to the day where in which like this is like a concerted effort. So um, that's very interesting that that's what you're you're seeing. And indeed, so right now, the point being that, you know, I also said this too, that the reason that they can they're dragging their feet almost on st- on the stimulus that is so needed is because they cannot do that because if they stimulate that's going to weaken the yuan and that is antithetical to their immediate term priority which is to stabilize the yuan at these very critical um levels so uh thank you thank you for that so so Mike, let's talk about the the end for a moment as long as you know as long as you bring it up so you say that they actually are very much interconnected so first of all, you have the yuan and the yen. Yeah, they're both getting crushed versus USC. But fundamentally, the you know the the story in the picture seems that well, that would make sense because these are the two economies that are going in opposite monetary policy directions. You, you know, what one is on autopilot easing, the other one is now actively going to be easing or perceived to be in the face of a, a tightening global monetary policy sort of environment. And so, therefore, those two should be getting getting crushed. But what you're saying is that there's something more more deep than that and that there's an actual concerted effort in order to inflict pain upon CNY. Correct. I mean, I take it from the standpoint that says capital flows uh, drive currencies. And the question is, who is controlling those capital flows? It's not necessarily uh, just interest rate differentials. I tend to believe that interest rate differentials follow uh, currency movements and uh, uh, and capital flow movements. They're derivative. They're not leading. Uh, and I think there's a lot of evidence to back that statement up. But it's all about capital flows and the question of monitoring those capital flows. Uh, and as far as I can see, what we've got at the moment is an engineered decline in the yen. Now, that may be, as I say, left field, uh, and it may be wrong, uh, but that's how I see things. And I think the uh, the coincidence is one one must draw here. Uh, you know, there are, there's no unrelated event in macro. And what we're looking at is a weaker yen. We're looking at a weaker yuan. And we're looking at uh, you know, an impending visit of the Treasury Secretary to China. And I think all these things are connected uh, in a similar way to the fact that they were connected last year, where China uh, basically was uh, its feet was were held to the fire uh, by a very weak yen and by a lot of pressure being put on uh, from the U.S., now, I think that, that those things are unconnected. Uh, China has basically found it extremely difficult to ease monetary policy uh, over the last, uh, what, in fact, 18 months because of pressure on the yuan. Uh, you know, as I said right up front, I think the yuan is fundamentally a weak currency. Uh, it has to devalue, and it probably has to devalue in size. But what the authorities in China are trying to preserve is some integrity in the short term and to make sure that currency doesn't free fall uh, you know, on a on a daily basis, they need to get some stability back, and that's why monetary policy is, uh, you know, is tightening right now. Now, coming out of this, uh, you know, let let's let's remember that there's been a lot of uh, let's say uh, subtle and somewhat surreptitious 
central bank interventions in currency markets in recent years. Uh, you know, going back to 2016, there was the so-called Shanghai Accord, which then attempted to get the US dollar down. That was not well publicized, but, you know, it, it's now, I think, been an accepted policy uh, that that happened. And I'm, what I'm suggesting is there may be similar attempts now. Uh, and there is an acknowledgement, perhaps, or there will be an acknowledgement that the US dollar needs to come down. And that's what I would start to expect to see in markets. Now, if I'm correct, coming out of this weekend or out of these talks, what you're likely to see over the coming weeks is less pressure on the yen, downward pressure on the yen, on the yuan, and basically some downward pressure on the US dollar. And that's how I think things are going to pan out. If the dollar begins to weaken, that is a significant positive for global financial markets uh, you know, in terms of uh, risk on trades. That's what I would expect to see over coming months. And I think going into 2024, markets will be strong. I still believe that the liquidity cycle globally is bottomed. That occurred last October. We're on an uptrend. That liquidity uptrend is being fueled uh, partly by the US to a large extent by Japan right now. And by the fact that if you look at bond markets globally, apart from uh, this near-term sell-off, generally speaking, from late last year, bond volatility was coming down, which basically enhances the value of collateral in lending markets. So all these factors are coming together. Right. And so let me just ask you, actually, just just mechanically. So when you say that, so how, how exactly would a weakening yen mechanically influence a weakening uh, CN, CNY or CNH? Is it just because a weakening yen strengthens the dollar, therefore dollar strengthening against other currencies, including the yuan? Is it basically as as simple as that or i think it's just basically looking at, at trade relationships i mean what we've got is a is a regional economy in asia that is very tightly integrated and you can't see significant changes in uh, in currency crosses and what you're seeing is uh, you know a lot of pressure being put because the japanese yen versus the cny is actually has been weakening quite noticeably and that that can't go on so i think that a lot of this in in terms of the pressure that you that you're seeing in markets uh, is stemming from the fact that uh, what you need is a stable currency block. Uh, if you've got economies that are increasingly integrated, that's very important. And in my view, that's the thing to watch. So we've got to, you know, start looking very closely again at forex markets, where I think that's sort of, you know, somewhat gone into the shadows in in recent weeks. But I think they've got to, they've got to come back. Uh, the dollar is absolutely paramount. Uh, my view, as you probably heard before, is that. Uh, you know, the, the the dollar remains in what I've termed a Bretton Woods one regime. Uh, it's all about the dominance of the dollar. Any consideration that other currencies are going to challenge the dollar is fanci fanciful. Uh, and the dollar is now sort of, you know, uh, muscling around. A filthy, filthy shirt, but still the least filthy, as as you've uh, as you've put exactly, it uh, yeah. many ways. It's yeah. the cleanest shirt in the laundry. Yeah, um, indeed. And so when you and I talked about this you know, last year, um, we, you talked about weaponizing the yen. And at that time, if I recall, you had said that the US and Japan succeeded in devaluing the yuan through seven, and they got that done. Well, we're back through seven, well through seven. Um, so this is basically kind of mission accomplished. And this is why you're saying that around now is when they'll kind of take the foot off the neck of the yuan? Or do they want to see it continue? Because they probably wouldn't want to see a, 
a runaway downside to the yuan as well, you know, and, and disorderly. But now that we're at critical levels simultaneously on both USD CNY, uh, CNH and USD JPY, you know, you have USD JPY back, back at 145, which is where intervention one of two happened. And you have CNY at that critical 7.3-ish, nearing that level of breaking out to that 15-year low simultaneously happening. Was that where you're kind of getting those levels at or...? Yeah, I think that I think we're we're close to the lows, and you know, have they achieved their goal? Well, I think we'll we'll see after this weekend because I think there is, as I've been suggesting, there's another agenda going on here um, that the U.S. is trying to use its geopolitical power via the dollar to actually influence relationships with China. So we'll see what comes out if there's any communicate. But ultimately, what I would tend to look at is the path of the dollar, uh, maybe dollar yen as a uh, as a as a proxy over the course of, uh, of the next few weeks. And if I'm correct, we're somewhat close to the end of uh, this weakness in the in the yen. Uh, we'll see generally the US dollar begin to soften. Uh, that's not to say that the dollar is in a, a long-term bear market. It certainly isn't. I think it's in a longer-term bull market. But I still believe that what you're likely to see this year is some adjustment down in the dollar uh, from you know what we've had is two years of, of, of strength, at least two years of strength. And there needs to be some pause in that. And I think that respite in the dollar will be a significant fillip for global liquidity markets uh, come later this year. And I'm still in the view that you know we're in we're in a uh, a new bull market. I think that started late last year. I think everything lines up that way. Uh, I'm not discounting the fact there may be a recession, but ultimately the question to ask is why are markets going up? And in my view, they're going up for this is risk markets. They're going up because liquidity, the liquidity cycle has turned higher. And there's lots of compelling evidence for that. Doesn't mean to say it's going to go in a straight straight line. Make no mistake. Uh, You know, there could be reversals on route, but the general trend is upwards. And the second thing, the key thing, which I think everyone is underestimating, is that inflation is coming down. And stock markets in particular are valued against inflation uh, more than anything else. That's absolutely critical. Uh, you know, it's it's incorrect to say, as we've shown many times in our research, that bond markets matter for equities. Uh, what really matters is the inflation backdrop. And if inflation's coming down, which it is, stock markets are going to get a fillip. Now, if you start to look at China, China is a major input into global inflation and US inflation. Uh, China is starting to see renewed deflationary pressures now, and that is likely to trans- translate into lower cost inflation in 2024 uh, worldwide. Uh, And so what you're seeing is some significant gains, I think, in terms of the battle against inflation. And that is important for stock markets. Not to say that you won't get renewed inflation in the future. Uh, That's obviously a concern. And that's one of the concerns we've raised many times. But that comes back to a very different issue, issue, which is the fiscal integrity of global governments. And with aging populations, this is a big, big issue that everyone needs to tackle. Monetary inflation is coming back big time, but that's in the future, not now. Yeah. And, you know, you and I, our views align on that, you know, uh, yield curve control, whatever you want to call it, whatever, however you want to market and package it, yield curve control in some form, in some way, it has to be in place. <laughs> like it gets happening. You cannot US have government. In the, it. the fact that the Treasury has got very closely involved. Uh, with um, uh, with debt with debt issuance and in particular targeting the money funds uh, with bill issuance uh, is basically telling them they they're telling you they're concerned about the liquidity background. Um, if they're skewing 
uh, US debt issuers heavily towards bills, and they're marketing those bills directly at the money funds with an attempt to get the reverse repo pulled down in size. <laughs> that, in a way, is, is a form of yield curve control. That's what they're trying to do. Indeed. So there's that. And then there's also um, very much the potential of, you know, and it, we only see it upon it happening. But if you just get into a UK guilt situation, you're going to see the central bank step in and conduct emergency yield curve control, directly purchasing the long end of the US Treasury curve or whatever sovereign curve is blowing up because they have to for the sake of stability. Right. They're going to try to say, you know, it's for the sake of stability. They'll be correct. It's, it's going to be a very hard sell to do so. This is not QE, QE. That always does exist. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that should it happen, that's what the reaction will be. Um, and the UK was a very clear example uh, of that. And it also, uh, therefore, gives central banks like the Bank of Japan, it justifies, this is why we must have yield curve control in the first place, because we. this is what, look at what the UK had to do. So it's a good thing we already have that measure in place. That was, this is preventative, that was reactive. This is, you know, this is why we need to do that. Um, also, let me just ask you, because I also did a recent episode about, so uh, Governor Ueda, who, by the way, I know that you and I talked about this, you had encountered him like a long time ago, back in the day, I guess, when he was a policymaker um, several years ago. Yeah, but it was probably well more than 20, I mean, 25 years ago. Yeah. First of all, do you remember him having any sense of humor at all and telling jokes or no? <laughs> I don't remember. Not, not, not really, no. Uh, okay. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, just, I, did a, I did a whole entire episode on him because he was recently on stage just last week with within reaching distance of Fed Chair Powell. Andrew Bailey from the uh, Bank of England, as well as Christine Lagarde uh, in Sintra. So those four major central banks, he stole the show. He's cracking jokes and all that kind of thing. He's talking, he's openly talking about other central banks policies. You know, the, the moderator who, Sarah Eisen, who I think have a massive amount of respect for, for asking questions, asking him like, do you think the other three central banks are tightening too much? And like, and he's answering questions. He's t commenting on other central bank policies and all that. But when it came to questions of his own balance sheet, his own policies, it was this that's a matter of the government i have nothing to say all that kind of thing right um so right. him being so outspoken at that time it highlighted not what he was being outspoken about but it highlighted what he was being very quiet about which is the fact that there is going to be kind of almost like permanent yield curve control but my stance was that you know he actually might have had this level of kind of looseness and confidence subconsciously because what the Bank of Japan doing is it is the last bastion of QE in the world. And he knows that um, the other central banks are ca counting on the Bank of Japan to hold down kind of global yields with yield curve control, pushing trillions of Japanese capital overseas into other sovereign bond markets so that they can be necessarily hawkish in their own economies. And should the Bank of Japan lift, then that could potentially hamper their, you know, how, how hawkish they need to be in order for them to respectively tackle inflation and all that. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think that I think there could be something in that. I mean, I'm not I, I must admit, I haven't got a strong view about that. I mean, what what I would say is that, you know, bond markets are not in a great place uh, right now. Uh, I mean, our, our view through this year has been to be very cautious of the long end of the bond market. Uh, I know there's been a, a, a the other consensus trade has really been to uh, for people to pile into long dated bonds because people expect many investors expect uh, central banks to be forced to slash rates because of a slowing economy. Uh, that may or may not be the case, um, but the reality is that term premium, particularly on the on the big sovereign markets, are hugely negative. And this is the sort of the uh, the sort of so-called dog that didn't bark in the famous Sherlock Holmes story, if you're familiar with those. I mean, this is the 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 big issue out there uh, that investors and policymakers are just not confronting. Why are term premia 
uh, so negative? And why are term premium, particularly on the pristine collateral markets like the Bund and the US Treasury, the most negative of the lot? And it suggests that there's a shortage of collateral in the system. And that is a major, major concern because it says there is underlying fragility in the system, which really means that central banks have got to be on the alert 100% of the time. And that's why I don't think QE goes away. It's got to come back uh, every time there's a problem. And there will be problems. The more that central banks try and withdraw liquidity, they'll find they can't. Right. Because a negative term premium makes no economic sense. So there has to be some sort of other reason and it has to be some and therefore it's structural it's, uh, is, is what you're saying, right? You know, um, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it, it's if you look There's at data, the data published on a daily basis from on the New York Fed website, uh, what you've got a term premium at their most negative ever uh, in history. And this history goes back to the 1960s, uh, early 60s. I mean, th this this is, you know, very, very significant. The fact you can have such a negative term premium at the, you know, what is the most important uh, financial asset in the world, the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond. Yeah, indeed. Um, you talked about uh, the kind of inflation dynamic and China and their exporting of e inflation and or deflation, I suppose, right? There's a kind of a, a thesis that I've been kind of mulling around in my head that I've yet to present, but I guess I'll just, you know, do it here. But this thought of Chinese capital flight, okay? So Yuan's getting crushed, right? Um, capital flight, of course, there's capital controls in, in within China, but there are ways to get around it, especially for the wealthy to get around it. And so when people say like, why are things like, you know, uh, US home builders rallying and, and all that? And why is there so much strength in that? And then you look at things like the RBA having to shock high rates, the Bank of Canada having to shock high rates. Well, my thought might be that you're seeing capital flight out of China going into things like property in those areas. And therefore, China economic weakness, as reflected by a weakening yuan, is actually inflationary and not the other way around in certain asset classes or certain assets in these developed markets because there is a flow out of China by the wealthy Chinese into Australian housing, Canadian housing, Vancouver, whatever, and in, in the United States as well. Therefore, you get, I mean, I have a, I have a chart basically of the XHB, uh, S&P Home Builders Index, as well as uh, Hang Seng Property Index, which is on a downward hill. And they actually have a mirror kind of split, like long, short, perfect pair almost. Um, any thoughts on that at all? That Chinese weakness, decline in the yuan and all that is leading to, you know, strength in housing and therefore in kind of inflation as well in those in those markets i think it sounds to me entirely plausible uh, i think that's right i think that what that tells you is there's a great need for the chinese authorities to try and stimulate the economy in some form to get growth up and get returns on capital higher uh, that is clearly a challenge um you know as they there's a there's a joke in ireland which says if you want to travel to dublin let's not start from here or don't start from here <laughs> they're, in a, they're in a bad place Okay, uh, but they, they've got to try and go forward. Uh, what choice that they, do they have? They've really only got um, two choices, as far as I can see, uh, because they're, they're not going to change the underlying backdrop of consumer spending. They can't, given the communist system. Uh, it's very difficult to enfranchise a consumer, as we know. So they've got to go down the infrastructure route. Well, good luck with that. Um, you know, there's there's been too much of it. They've been overbuilding, as we know. Um but they are starting to relax some of the constraints they've put on there. Uh, the Belt and Road Initiative 
well, I think people have kind of wise to that now, but notwithstanding, there could be something going on, which really leaves the export route. So China has to find, try and find a way of exporting into the world. And that's why, you know, I tend to think in the, you know, in the medium term, all the talk about decoupling from China is maybe overblown uh, in the sense that, you know, we are in a global world. Capitalism likes globalization. It's going to reinvent itself somehow. And there will be some rapprochement between the US and China. And, you know, China will bide its time. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, what they want to do is to preserve the regime beyond anything else. And another five years will be good. And what they need is above everything else, as we all know, and you know as well, they need growth. They've got to get growth. You can't have youth unemployment levels yeah. at these levels for very long. We know that. So they, they have to buy growth. And whether that's allowing the yuan to devalue, uh, you know, by itself or having some tacit agreement with the US that things are, you know, the dollar weakens and they can ease monetary policy simultaneously, I don't know. But I think there's a deal coming. I think that they, everybody, Chinese, everybody gets that because of the decouple, not de-risk thing that has started to emerge recently. Because yeah. There is no decoupling. So they just kind of reached, you know, rechanges the de-risk. Um, so let's finish up on the current news of, so Janet Yellen's currently in uh, China right now. Um, and they have, you know, a ton to discuss. They're obviously the currency is going to come up. Whether it's going to be talked about in a communique publicly or all that, I, I don't know. And I seriously doubt that it would. Unlikely. Unlikely, highly unlikely. Unless it's purposely planned to be, um, but unlikely. So she's there for like, what, three days or something like that. It's a long trip from Washington, D.C. to Beijing. It's a very, very long trip. If Janet Yellen's plane, if it stops over in Tokyo, that would not surprise me if that headline just sort of popped up in the next coming days or something. Um, and then if it doesn't, it also is very telling about how the U.S. currently feels about the yen, dollar yen at 145 uh, and beyond that they may or may not care. But do you think that that might be something to look for, um, a potential Tokyo stopover and or a Tokyo snub? Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily put it in terms of a snub. I think the thing is that my view is that the U.S. Uh, and Japan are working pretty closely together here. Uh, I also think that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury are working pretty closely together. So I think there is a, a sort of united front going on. And in many ways, I mean, Yellen is the most important person in the administration. I mean, she's the most articulate. Uh, she's certainly the one who is able to travel and communicate communicate the views, uh, articulate the views clearly. So, you know, let, let's listen to what she says and let's look at what she does. I think it's critical. But I come back to the point, what traders and investors need to look at in the next few days is really the path of the US dollar. That's going to be key. And I think that you know, my expectation is you're going to start to see in the next few weeks signs of a weaker dollar. And I think that will almost cement the fact or confirm the fact that there is a deal, a sula tabla deal, which has been done here. And so therefore, by look at the US dollar, you mean the US dollar JPY cross to lead the USD CNY cross? Yeah, or, or DXY or... Uh, whatever it may be. But I think that, you know, we're in a situation where uh, dollar strength cannot go on. And my, you know, my view, my very simple view of markets has been to say that 2022 was all about getting the US dollar up and the Fed balance sheet down. And I think, or the effective part of the balance sheet down, liquidity in other words. And I think that this year is all about getting the dollar down a bit and getting the effective balance sheet, in other words, liquidity up uh, and I think we're getting that uh, playing out. 
indeed. Well, look, um, Michael, I know you have to run. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for appearing on Market Depth. Let's um, have you back on, uh, you know, when you get a chance and, or when markets blow up. And one of those two will happen probably sooner than later. <laughs> um, but uh, Michael Howell from Cross Border Capital, where can they find you? What's your Twitter handle again uh, for the audience? Uh, at Cross Border Cap, um, there is a substack called Capital Wars. Um, there's also a book called Capital a book Wars. Called, yeah, I was going to say there's that too. Our website Excellent book. is crossbordercapital.com. So we're we're available everywhere. But anyway, and, thanks again, Wilson. And, and you, pu- you also you publish on 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 uh, Smart Karma a lot too, right? Is that is that yeah, we do, uh, we do different bits, things too? We, we do bits and pieces on Smart Karma, but the main the main engines are uh, the Twitter feed, uh, the website, uh, and Substack. Um, Michael Hell, you are a gem. You are invaluable to our uh, to our processes. Thank you so much for your time today. Great, Weston. Thanks.